0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Well,
1: hi everyone. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Molly Dunham-Friel, who has been battling ulcerative colitis since 2012. A year after her IBD diagnosis, she was also diagnosed with IBS. And then in 2018, SIBO was added to her growing list of gut conditions. Over the past year, she's tried a number of different diets, acupuncture, exercise, talk therapy, medications, and much, much more in an attempt to try and heal her gut and control SIBO, all while taking steroids to to control one of her worst ulcerative colitis flares ever. Even though the steroids helped her recover and come out of that flare, she still fights every day to keep her gut healthy, watching and waiting. Passionate about helping others with IBS and IBD to feel less isolated, she's been blogging about her own journey and working to raise awareness and advocating for positive change for all IBD and IBS warriors. Thank you so much for joining me today, Molly, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So you've racked up, as I was mentioning in the intro there, you have racked up a number of gut conditions, adding IBS and SIBO, S-I-B-O, which is the small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, I believe. So adding those two things on top of ulcerative colitis. So before we jump into how you're managing your health now and some of the tips and tricks that you've learned over the years, why don't you go ahead and start by sharing your ulcerative colitis story? Sure. Well, it would take a very long time if I
2: explained it all, but I was initially um, became sick uh, the very end of 2011, um, the beginning of 2012. Uh, That's uh, soon after I had moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and had graduated um, my undergrad degree from Vermont. So I transplanted from Vermont down to the South, and it started with just, you know, upset, Stomach, just kind of running to the bathroom, more urgency, more diarrhea, cramping, gas, things like that. And what's shocking is initially, I don't even think I thought that much of it. I certainly didn't think I had a disease, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of just progressively got worse, and then I started um, bleeding. And when my toilet bowl lit up with bright red blood, I knew something was really seriously wrong with me. And so that's when I started to seek, um, you know, medical guidance. And that's when um, I had my first colonoscopy, uh, which is very traumatizing when you're 22
1: years old.
2: Uh, you mm-hmm. might be able
1: to relate. And Definitely. I was about the same age when I was diagnosed, 22, 23. And so I I delayed trying to go to the doctor because I knew if I'm bleeding out of my rectum, <laughs> that's where they're going to investigate. So... Uh, right. So yeah, after
2: would, the lovely digital so. <laughs> exam that I wasn't really warned about, I was told I needed a colonoscopy, which I ended up flying home to to do in Vermont. So I had could have the support of my family and had a had a ride, and also two parents who have had one before, which is also really helpful because the idea of doing the prep scared me. I think more than anything at the, that point in time. Now, I mean. I'm used to them, sort of, still dreaded, (laughs) but I'm more used to them now. And so after the colonoscopy, I came back to Atlanta and probably a week or two later, I knew something right away that was wrong with me. They noticed stuff. They had noticed, um, you know, obviously inflammation in my intestines and things like that. But you have to have the pathology report to really diagnose. And so that's when I received a call that my mom had prefaced me because the doctor had talked to her first because I had been at work. She prefaced Mm -hmm. me with, it's gonna be okay. And so of Mm -hmm. course that made me a little nervous. And then I remember getting my diagnosis. I was sitting in my car out in a parking lot after work. And he told me that I had ulcerative colitis, which I had never heard of before, that there wasn't a cure. I will have it forever, but that I could take a pill and I could be fine. That's what I was told. And so I was very conflicted. I was like devastated that I had a disease that was incurable and that something was like really wrong with me because that was the first time it wasn't something like an ear infection or a UTI that can Mm -hmm. just kind of clear up on its own. Um, So that was really scary. I've also, it was new to me to take medications. It was new to me to take Mm -hmm. medications lifelong and with a lot of side effects um, but then I was also sort of excited that maybe I could get some relief, and that maybe a pill would just solve all of my problems. So I think I had a, I was a little bit misled, with, led there. But I think we all kind of are uh-huh. in, in some way. And so I continued to, you know, work, um, even though I was running to the bathroom and knew where all of the bathrooms were because I just found myself running there urgently, and then. Um, I went from, you know, basically from one GI doctor to the next to the next until I could find someone that didn't just assume that I was supposed to have good days and bad days for the rest of my life and thought, no, we need to actually get you feeling well so that you can kind of function as like a normal person. And like I was also 22, mind you. So I was very young. Granted, I know a lot of children have um, IBD, but I was still, you know, just out of college, wanting to work and like explore and travel and live my life. And I didn't feel like I
1: could. And was that, was it you that kind of took, was it you who took the initiative or maybe the support of your parents that helped you seek out a different doctor? Because I know sometimes that can be kind of challenging and sometimes people don't feel like that's an option to just start seeking, you know, one doctor after another to find one who's really going to help. So What was that like to actually find a doctor? And was it you who initiated that?
2: Yeah, I think it was me that initiated that. Um, I think my parents backing up my decision to see other people I think was helpful because they also felt that if I wasn't getting what I felt I needed that I can go elsewhere. Um, And I also, um, not too long after my diagnosis, I did switch jobs and started working and I healthcare, in the healthcare industry, I wasn't um, doing anything to do with IVD, but it helped me, I guess, learn and understand that the relationship between a patient and a provider is, there's a choice there. So just like a patient can choose their doctor and a doctor can technically terminate a patient, um, that's when I feel like I started to understand how I do have some say in this and I definitely have say of like who I give my money to or my co to and who I see that I'm not just stuck with this one person. And I just really felt like I was getting shorthanded when I was seeing these particular providers. And so I just wanted to go find someone and to keep searching until I found someone that was going to help me.
1: That's awesome, especially to do that at such a young age, being so kind of new to the healthcare system, not really having to go through chronic illnesses before. So that's awesome that you were able to take that initiative and do that and really find some care. So it found it sounds like did you find a doctor that you landed on and were you able to start getting some relief at that point? So after after my
2: second doctor in Atlanta, I asked the physicians I was working for at the time who they recommended. And they recommended one of the Atlanta top doctors um, who they go see for their colonoscopies. They don't have any bowel Mm -hmm. diseases, but they, you know, are of a certain age where they have to get uh, their routine uh, scopes. And so they're, they both recommended him. And so me trusting the folks I worked for, I went to him, and I was like, no, I have to see this doctor. And so when I first went for my uh, appointment, I first saw, like, a PA student who was learning, and so we chatted, and then she said she would have me see the physician assistant. And at the time, I was like, no, I'm here to see, you know, I'm here to see the doctor. Like, Mm -hmm. I was told that I need to see this guy. And so she's like, okay, that's fine. We can do that. And basically, I saw the the physician next, and I absolutely, completely did not ever want to see that man again. And so I met his PA next, and meeting his physician assistant was the breath of fresh air that I needed, and I still see her today, because she kind of specializes a little, slightly in IBD. Her husband has IBD, so she has a little bit of a better yeah. reality per se, mm-hmm. and a little bit of a more of a connection with IBD as opposed to, um, you know, some of the physicians that I had seen who are just like, okay, well, we'll give you steroids or we'll give you um, mm-hmm, yeah. immunosuppressants and the or we'll just we'll just uh, operate, and that was sort of how he presented my options um, in a very nonchalant. Way without even wow. speaking to me, and with me. So when I met her, someone who listened to me and also believed that I wasn't supposed to just live in misery for the rest of my life, I was excited and beyond ecstatic. And even though we don't always see perfectly eye to eye, and and I challenge her all the time, and I talk about mm-hmm. that openly, and you know she knows, um, she knows me pretty well at this point. Um, <laughs> she's great because she listens and, and she cares. Um, so that was sort of how I landed with her and I've seen many other providers as well. Um, I've seen naturopaths, I've seen functional medicine type doctors, um, but she is like my, my go-to GI. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of how I found her. And I definitely suggest to anyone that if, they're not satisfied to keep searching and keep fighting just like for anything else.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So what kind of treatment, once you found her and started working with her, what was the treatment process like? And tell me a little bit about medications, what you tried, different things, if there were alternative things you tried. And then it sounds like the amount of time it took to go through all that, I'm sure that's probably when this the IBS came into play too. So tell me a little bit about that picture. Sure. When I first found um, my current provider,
2: I was still taking Aprizo, which is a type of mesalamine tablet. Um, it's actually like a capsule. So I was taking eight of those a day which was crazy because I couldn't have barely swallow them at that point because I wasn't used to taking pills. And now, I mean, I can do that, you know, half asleep. Um, so, you know, I've come a long way, but that wasn't really working. And so, She switched me over to a different form of mesalamine orally that is called Lyalda. That's just one of the brand names now. It's not really Lyalda much anymore. It's just mesalamine these days. Mm -hmm. But um, so we switched to that formulary, which is essentially just a different way of delayed release um, to the gut. And I also was extremely, extremely hesitant to do the mesalamine retention enemas, but Mm -hmm. I finally... Had to try it because I just wasn't feeling well and the oral medicine alone wasn't working. So um, she had me try those and they really helped. Um, they were originally supposed to be temporary, you know, take them for two weeks, see if you feel better. Mm-hmm. I would. I'd stop taking them a few weeks later, maybe a month later, back where I was, have to do them again. And it was this cycle over and over and over again. Um, so once we realized that our you know my scope looked decent compared you know comparatively to um it wasn't severe at the time um she thought it looked good even though I had active ulcerative colitis she still felt that my colonoscopy looked really really good and so she wanted to keep me on the mesalamine uh treatment plan and that's when I continued to tell her about like my gas and my bloating and you know the sometimes having diarrhea and things like that, that's when she's like, well, I think you might have some IBS. Like it's probably like some Mm -hmm. IBS on top of your ulcerative colitis. And I was like, okay. Um, That just really didn't feel helpful at all because there's really nothing. I wasn't told anything that I could do. Um, I had always asked about diet and diet was Tends to be a little bit understudied in the field, so she didn't feel like there was any clinical evidence that would support any particular diets. Of course, she told me like some people don't do well with gluten or dairy or milk, and you know certain certain things um, can aggregate aggravate some people. But in general, there's no rule of thumb because it's not a one size fits all. Um, mm-hmm. I saw various dietitians and things like that, you know, because of the IBS. Um, No one had ever told me about SIBO. I'd never heard of it before. And it took a lot of years of living with UC and IBS before I even knew about it. Um, So that's like fast-forwarding to 2016 where my symptoms just kind of got worse and I couldn't seem to get them under control. Had you ever found any
1: relief in all of that time?
2: Yeah, when I was first diagnosed – when I was first diagnosed and I was on the misalamine enemas and the oral Lyalza misalamine, I had periods of time where I feel like I I kind of had a normal life. Um, it's almost hard for me to remember what that felt like yeah. um, completely. um I mean I'm doing fine right now, but I have been through so many ups and downs in the last couple years that, there's sort of an emotional and psychological um, scar in a, in a way that mm-hmm. almost makes it hard to remember what it felt like to feel like I didn't really have IBD. And there yeah. was a point like after my diagnosis and once I finally started working with a practitioner I liked and got on multiple medications that seemed to be working, there was a point in time where I kind of ate what I wanted. I kind of did what I wanted. I was still drinking alcohol and still somehow I was fine. I went out, I traveled, I did a lot of things. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I ate all kinds of stuff. I mean, ice cream, pizza, you name it, uh-huh. I ate anything. And then, you know, and then fast forward to, you know, prior to being diagnosed with SIBO, if I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't eat anything. So there was yeah. definitely a period of
1: some relief. And then in 2016, you said it was getting, everything kind of got worse. 2016
2: is when things kind of took a turn for the worse. So even though there were some years where I definitely felt a lot better or was doing well, it wasn't perfect. I still, Mm -hmm. you know, would, would stay home on the weekend sometimes. I would still have diarrhea. I would still have some urgency. I would still have tummy aches and things like that. Most of the time I would chalk it up to something I ate, like I shouldn't have eaten all that chocolate-covered popcorn at work or that cake Mm -hmm. or whatever, um, or all those vegetables that were raw. I always kind of just thought there was a reason, and it was was intermittent enough that it wasn't a cause for too much concern, and I just wasn't that ill for a good amount of time. And then around 2016 is when things just kind of changed. Like they, my body felt different. My Everything felt different. My gut felt different. I, I felt so irritable beyond just, you know, just IBS. Um, mm-hmm. Things that I was eating, like even if I wasn't eating, I still didn't really feel well. And so that was kind of a sign that like things weren't really right. That's when I started exploring – Nutrition, and I pushed my doctor to refer me to, or my provider to to push me to see a nutritionist, which I did. Who she put me on the low fodmap diet, and then when I had failed that, when she called it a failure because I still had symptoms throughout the entire elimination phase, that's Mm -hmm. when my provider ended up going out on leave, so I couldn't go to her, Mm -hmm. and then I was referred to another provider who is a little bit, she is not exactly a functional medicine provider, but she was someone that, you know, doesn't take insurance, does private practice. And, you know, she had me do a lot of further testing. I mean, I was tested for Crohn's. I was tested for celiac. I was tested eventually. I was tested for SIBO. I -hmm. was tested, um, for what else? You know, my, my, uh, my blood was tested for like my vitamin levels and deficiencies, things like that. And the only thing that I that came up positive was hydrogen dominant uh, SIBO, which wasn't mm. a huge shocker, but I had no idea that I had it or that for the months and the years leading up to that, I could have possibly had SIBO because I had never even heard of it. Um, and then, and then from there, I tried, you know, heavy doses of probiotics that cost an arm and a leg. I tried uh, bovine immunoglobulins, different things that she prescribed. I tried um, different forms of Saccharomyces boulardii, which is like a yeast. And all kinds of stuff. I tried going gluten-free. I tried paleo. I tried a liquid diet. I tried a SIBO diet. I researched everything I could on the Internet. And I still wasn't feeling well, which landed me in the hands of a naturopath who decided I pretty much had a ton of things wrong with me, like 10 or 12 different things at least, Mm -hmm. um, which was overwhelming and very expensive. And then they gave me all these different tinctures and supplements, and I got worse. Like I just kept getting worse, and they kind of tell you, like, oh, you get worse before you get better. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: then you know, fast forward to summer of 2017. Wait, summer of 2018, last year, I believe. I think it was last mm-hmm. year. Then I had a really bad flare and I was still working with the natural path. So I was like, what do I do? What do I do? And they told me to take, um, I think it was bentonite clay. And I took the whole bottle and I was still miserable. I mean, not all at once. I took it as directed and I was still miserable. So that's when an I progressively got worse into the weekend, and I couldn't get a hold of my provider, so I went to the urgent care because I was like, I've never been in this much pain. I've never been jolted out of my sleep because of this pain in this way, and I was going 20, 30 times a day, bright red blood. It looked like – I thought my intestines were just going to, like, come out of me. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do anything. I could go to the bathroom, and I could lay down. That's it. Like, I could barely eat. I didn't really want to eat. And it was scary. Like, it was really scary because I really felt miserable, and it was – it just didn't end. Like, there was – it wasn't just a flare-up like, oh, this afternoon I was down for the count. It was days and days and days and days, and they just kept going on and on and on, and, like, the bleeding kept going on and on and on. Urgent Mm -hmm. care, I basically went to make sure I didn't have a blockage, which I didn't think I did. It was more of a precaution. And then um, that's when I needed some steroids once I was able to see a a GI doctor and got on steroids um, to help me get out of the flare, which it did. And then the colonoscopy or sigmoidoscopy following that showed I did have inflammation still. Um, That was um, last fall in 2018. And that's when we started – my provider started talking to me about, you know, stepping my therapy up to a biologic perhaps, um, which she gave me the choice to research it on my own and figure out which one I would like to choose if I need to. Um, It was really devastating um, because I had been trying hard not to be on biologics, though I have – no bias against them. And I know that they save lives and do amazing mm-hmm. things. It was just, they scare me. Like they scare, I think most people. And it made me feel like I failed because I tried so many things. I mean, I was trying diet. I was trying exercise. I was going to therapy. I was, um, literally if I learned about something, I tried celery juice. I mean, I tried Everything. Not exactly. (laughs) It sounds
1: like you really did try everything under the sun.
2: I tried to try everything, and I wanted something to work. And I wanted—I had it had in my head that I wanted to try to do it naturally if I could. And, and I just felt pretty darn defeated at that point. Um, Luckily, my provider and I—you know—we have like a shared decision-making relationship. And so mm-hmm. we had decided post-sigmoidoscopy that had basically said I still have inflammation, but it wasn't super, super bad, but it was a little bit more than it was before in terms of the region of my colon. And so um, we did discuss the biologics, but then we thought we let's treat the SIBO one more time because if SIBO is causing a lot of or most of my problems it would be irresponsible to just throw a biologic on it because that's mm-hmm. not going to help the SIBO. Um, so it was almost process of elimination. Like, let's see if, you know, another round of the antibiotic for your SIBO will help you feel better. And it helps a lot. It helps significantly a lot. And that's when I started, you know, really tapping into stress management techniques, really mm-hmm. realizing that, my gut is triggered immensely by stress, even if it's this underlying stress that you don't feel or you can't Mm -hmm. tell is there. And I still kind of paid close attention to my diet, but that's also when I started kind of going crazy and being like, well, I've tried all the diets. I've tried all these things. I'm going to eat a piece of pizza. And Mm -hmm. basically the day I found out about my scope results, that's what I did. I went from like eating what felt like nothing, you know, veg- plain yeah. veggies and meat into
1: pizza. and to so, just throwing up your hands and saying, to heck with it. Yeah, <laughs> that's sort of how I Give felt. me the daggone pizza. <laughs>
2: yeah, like after I cried it out, talked it mm-hmm. out, I was like, yeah, let's just go. I'm going to go eat a piece of pizza. And I did. And I survived it. And I think that that kind of gave me <laughs> hope um, in some way. And it's been good and bad in a way because I've been eating things that maybe aren't best for my gut, but also it's been mm-hmm. good because I've had a little bit more of freedom and flexibility in my life to be like, okay, maybe I'm not put in one of these boxes forever. Maybe there is some flexibility. Maybe there are other options. And so it's sort of a, a windy road, if you will.
1: Definitely a windy road. And that's kind of where you're at now. Is that correct?
2: So, yeah, where I'm at now is I'm still taking the oral and the rectal mesalamine. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely feel like I have to stay on the enema because of that cycle, like I kind of discussed before, where it feels like mm-hmm. when I come off of it, I get a grace period and then it kind of comes back. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. So so that's why I'm still taking it as much as I hate it. Um, so those are the... What I have been doing, I do use suppositories also from time to time, um, and then I take uh, um, supplements and things like that, like um, probiotics and 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 different things to kind of try to help with my gut and my and my stool and things so things of that nature. And I'm not currently following any
1: specific diet plans. Are there certain have you discovered? Are there certain foods that are triggers for you or? Not so much.
2: I've had a really hard time discovering trigger foods for myself because I've done elimination diets and I've added things back in and they haven't bothered me. And then I'll eat something one day and it's great. And then another time it's not great. Um, so that's been a, like a pretty big struggle. I am thinking about and I have recently contacted a dietitian to kind of maybe go back to square square one and look a little bit further into nutrition and how it, how it might impact my body and my life. Um, but I'm also trying to come at it from a little bit of a different perspective because something that got worse for me when I was on these different diets that were pretty strict was, uh, my food fear got a lot worse. So my fear of eating a food and what it will do to me got significantly worse because I think I had these guidelines that I was following, and I felt like if I deviated, it was going to cause me to get sick. And it created a lot of fear and anxiety around food, which I still have, especially when it comes yeah. to eating out or eating new things or eating at restaurants or eating before an outing or things of that nature. But it was significantly worse worse. Um, So I want to try to attack eating from a different perspective now where making sure I'm not creating a disordered eating pattern or disordered thinking around food, but then also figuring out like, is there anything that triggers me? Or maybe there isn't things that trigger me. Maybe it's the quantity that triggers me. I think that quantity is something that triggers me. Um, certain things I think you can have in sort of smaller quantities and be fine. For example, with like the low FODMAP diet, certain foods and vegetables have a quantity limit. And if you go over there, they're no longer low FODMAP. Um, but I struggle with quantity because I love to eat. And I love to eat as much as I want of a certain thing. Saying I can have one chocolate is just not satisfying to me. Saying I can have five is more satisfying. So (laughs) I'm trying to find a balance. Um, And I think hopefully, you know, this is a journey. Like I am still on this journey as you probably feel that same way too. Mm -hmm. So I don't have all the answers yet. Um, Yeah.
1: I'm still working on it. And I love that you say that—that that you don't have all the answers yet, because honestly, I—I I don't think I've met anyone who feels like they do. And I know for some of the the people who are more newly diagnosed that I talk to, they're so eager and you know that desperate feeling that we've all had of just trying to find what works. And when you've been at it for many years, you realize that that there really is. No one solution and it is a journey, just like you're saying. And there's a lot of twists and turns and and it's tough and it keeps changing. And I also love the fact that you touched on the disordered eating, because I know that's you know, for me, I struggled with that for many, many years of looking at a food and just being afraid to eat, what's it gonna do? And so I think it's a, a great thing there that you mentioned trying to find a nutritionist who can help you reshape, you know, some of those feelings and ideas around that. Yeah. And you, you also have, cause I was looking at your blog, we'll jump to this in a minute, but you also have a couple of great blog posts on some of these topics that you've been mentioning. I think you did one on the, the food fear and even the misalamine, the steroid enemas. You did a couple of great blog posts on those too.
2: Thanks. Yeah, I mean the the enema one is more because no provider, at least that I've ever had, has ever taught you tips or tricks on how to make it less miserable, and it's really embarrassing, and it's something I would never really like tell people that I had to do,
0: Um, Mm
2: -hmm. and I was like, you know, I'm going to share my story. I'm sharing my story, so I have got to help these people out here who are like, oh my god, this enema, like you have to do this, what, and sharing. Almost tricks of the trade that a a provider that has not given themselves these enemas night after night is not going to know. This is not in the pamphlet. This is not on the instructions. These are tips, tricks, things that might help you. You try them on. If they fit, great. If they don't, toss them. So Mm -hmm. I figured, hey, I'm gonna. I have to talk about this. Like I feel called to do so.
1: Yeah, and it's it's so important because I know. Every time I go for a new procedure or whatever it is, even though I've had Crohn's for 13 or so years now, still anytime something new comes up, I go searching for blogs and forums and what have other people said about, you know, this procedure, this thing. And so it's, it's beneficial. So... Tell me a little bit, you mentioned kind of, obviously the blog is Tips and Tricks, but what are some of the other things you've learned? Are there anything you've found over the years of helping yourself to feel better when you do go into a flare and how to come out of it or to just even feel better a little bit while you're going through it? Sure. Again, I wish I had a magic answer for
2: everyone and for Mm -hmm. myself, Um, but... I do think recently in the last year, I've realized how much you know, my mind plays a role in this, and I've also realized that when I start to feel not so good, if I can tone down the freakout show in my brain, mm-hmm. I tend to do better. So sometimes to me that means, you know, letting people in my life know I'm not feeling that great, but not talking about it. You know, if Mm -hmm. I get rapid fire text messages or questions about, oh, is it this? Is it this? How do you feel about this? Are you okay now? Are you okay now? Saying, I don't want to talk about it. Um, And trying to quiet what's in my head of, was it what I ate? Oh my gosh, is it this medicine? Do I need to start taking this medicine? do I need another probiotic? Oh, was it what I ate three days ago? Uh, is it, am I stressed? Like what's going on? Uh, do I need to call my doctor? Should I call him today? Should I call them tomorrow? And there's sort of this crazy dialogue that goes on in your head when you start to feel symptoms or you start to feel bad. Um, and I'm not sure how many other people experience that, but that's how I get. And maybe that's just my personality, but I want to no, know. I definitely it. get like that too. And I, my mind just does not stop going. And mm-hmm. I wish I had a really good answer for, like, how to make that completely stop. However, we, of course, we don't want to stop our minds um, <laughs> to- totally. But trying to take like, take a deep breath and, you know, if you're, if you're feeling really crummy, sleeping it off, resting it off, doing something and focusing on something else, focusing on helping other people. So sometimes mm-hmm. for me, um, you know, posting on my Instagram or writing about something on my blog, it focuses the attention on helping somebody else and it also validates what you're going through in a way because you can help someone else feel less alone even though
0: you're mm-hmm. going through
2: something that's just as crummy. So I felt like sharing my journey has been very helpful. Um collaborating with other people and making friends in the IBD community has been really helpful. So you have someone that you can chat with who's not going to ask you 20 million questions about what you're feeling or dealing with. They'll be like, yeah, I get it. Or like, oh, that happened to me Mm -hmm. last night or things of that nature. And building that community, I think has been helpful feeling, doing that so that you do feel less alone and you do feel like you've got people to help you out. And then when you're in the midst of it, just don't lose hope. I mean, something that I have never I have felt hopeless at times and I have been very frustrated at times and I have cried and had why me moments and all types of different emotions. But I always somehow have some sort of hope somehow. Yeah. Like even if it's tiny, even if it's barely there, even when I'm like, am I going to die? Like is if my intestine is just going to come out and this is going to be the end, like not that it was that severe, but when you're just bleeding all the time and feeling terrible, you're like, is this like, is this just it? Like, is, is it going to get better? Um, yeah. But I always had some hope that it would get better. And I think keep holding on to something and it doesn't have to be the same thing for each person, but whatever yeah. it is, find what it is for you and keep a hold of it.
1: I think that's great advice and having that hope is so important and to not lose it because um, it's once you start going down that spiral sometimes it can be tough to to stop it and you've got to recognize it and then stop it and focus on the hope so I think that's great great advice and
2: it's a lot harder to do than it is to say so I'll, that's a
1: caveat
2: is I struggle with it all the time, so,
1: yeah, I think we all do. It's a journey <laughs> mm-hmm. to keep trying now you've also you talk a lot about fitness on your blog as well. Mm-hmm. Is that something that plays a role in helping you to feel well kind of day to day? Yes, so fitness is huge for me, um
2: and by fitness like that could be. I consider, you know, any movement can be called fitness. Um, So I know Mm -hmm. everyone is in different stages of of disease and of chronic illness. And, you know, there are times when, you know, you can barely get to the toilet. So I want to be cognizant and understanding of those circumstances because I've been there and I understand. I'm not saying, you know, you need to go, you know, take a workout class or or do anything that's going to make you feel worse. But on days where – I'm not tied to the toilet all day long or I'm doing okay or even if I'm having some upset stomach um, or some bloating or distension or gas or whatever that symptom might be. Even if I'm having a a, a kind of a crummy day, Mm -hmm. doing something and for fitness, doing some movement typically helps me. And a lot of it is physical, but more of it I think is mental. Um, I think it helps – balance me. It helps me just feel stronger and more alive and more awake and in a little bit of control in some ways mm-hmm. over, you know, hey, I'm going to take control and I'm going to go work out and this is going to help me feel better. And I almost have I almost never regret a workout. Even if I have an episode of not feeling so good or I have to quit it in the middle of it, I typically don't re- ever regret doing it sometimes you Mm -hmm. have to do a different workout but I have found that you know working out and the workout classes that I like to join to join and the if I even if it's just walking or doing something at home um I think that's all like a great option like I personally love group fitness Mm -hmm. and so going to a bar class or a yoga class and having a community of people there that you know or that I know and building relationships and friendships with those people and then getting a great workout in is like a great bonus. Um, I love to mm-hmm. sweat it out. I feel like it detoxifies me a bit. It invigorates me and I take a nice shower and I just feel so much better and I also tend to notice like especially if it's like a kind of an IBS day like I'm having today I tend to do just so much better if with my IBS, if I do some exercise um, mm-hmm. and sometimes you're like, how the heck can you exercise if you're bloated? Or how the heck can you exercise if you're, if you um, are having gas or this and that? And it's like, well, you know what? Sometimes it's crazy. Cause I feel like sometimes my body figures out a way and it just does it. Mm-hmm. Um, it I mean, I'm not saying, you know, you might not still have gas, but yeah. <laughs> and you might still have those symptoms. However, sometimes I feel like it quiets those symptoms for a second so your body can focus on doing the workout and you start sweating and you start moving and your body gets warm
0: mm-hmm.
2: and endorphins start flowing. And it just makes me feel so much better. I can't speak for everybody. And so it's been really instrumental. I've always been into exercise my whole life prior to my diagnosis too. But in the last couple of years, I think I've realized that scheduling it, making it a priority and doing it regularly is just instrumental for me.
1: I agree with you a hundred percent on that. And I get so many of the same benefits that you mentioned of just feeling, you know, like it's something you have control over and having it be invigorating. So I think it's a, definitely a necessary thing for anyone but especially those with IVD to to do and just like you said any movement is really I look at it the same way any movement is fitness if it's just a walk or doing some stretching some yoga all of it really plays a role and I know for me it always makes me feel better too so I agree with you 100% (laughs) yes I figured you did (laughs) I definitely do. (laughs) So I want to jump in and talk about a little bit more of the advocacy work that you're doing. So I mentioned that you have a blog. Um, You blog a lot about your fitness on there, um, your medications. You've got a ton of great information on there. Um, But you also do work with Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. So tell me a little bit about your advocacy journey and maybe start by telling me, telling me what was the first thing that really kind of propelled you to start sharing your story and advocating for IBD?
2: So what first compelled me to start sharing my journey was after that flare um, that I had mentioned earlier that was just Mm -hmm. really a bit traumatizing for me. Um, I also started noticing, you know, that that people share their chronic illness journeys. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be IBD. But that—that's I didn't even know that that was like a thing that people did. (laughs) And I (laughs) I figured that out. And I was like, oh, wow, like, that's really cool. Like, maybe I should share my journey. And then I had that bad flare. And I was like, you know what? Yes, I think I need to share my journey. Like, even Mm -hmm. if all it is is therapeutic to myself, that's great. Um, If it helps other people, even better. Like, that's the goal. And yeah. so I started sharing um, about a year ago, actually. I think it was August. I think I started everything about a year ago this month, August of 2018. And I started with Instagram. I started with a blog. And I, I mean, I didn't have any followers. I was didn't really mm-hmm. know what I was doing. I just kind of started out with just sharing what I was, you know, eating and doing and medicine and just my journey. And... Then I was like, I really want to get, you know, involved more with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation because, you know, I have ulcerative colitis and I want to give back and I want to help people and, and meet more people with, you know, these illnesses. I think that that would be helpful for myself. Um, I started going to Crohn's and Colitis support groups um, last summer and those were initially, the initially a support group is going to be awkward. It's going to be strange. Mm-hmm. It's going to put you a lot of times out of your comfort zone. But I'm so glad that I went because, you know, fast forward a year later. Now I'm the moderator of the group uh, with the other moderator. And uh, we we kind of double team it. And I love it. Like I love being able to create an environment for people to share. And so I've kind of just slowly bit by bit become more involved You just kind of started with the blog and then started with the support Mm -hmm. group and then, you know, meeting with folks at the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, going to events, attending them, offering to volunteer, and then reading all of their emails and not just skimming them and deleting them, but reading them. And Mm -hmm. if there was an opportunity to do advocacy or if there was a link to sign up, or sign a petition for something like I would. I was starting to do it, and so I kind of started doing all those things, really just because I wanted to give back and I wanted to help and I wanted to get more involved. And then what kind of got me even more involved was when I took it upon myself this past summer to contact my uh, representatives, my my congressmen in the state of Georgia, and. I basically did that all through the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation website. They essentially have all the information there for you, which is really awesome because it makes it so much easier and a little bit less accessible. I mean, a little bit more accessible and a little less scary. And so I sent emails to, I think, two or three different legislators. And I didn't really expect a response. They all kind of... um. Will give you like a bounce back email that's like, thank you for your message. Um, and so I kind of just thought, oh, okay, well, I tried. And then, you know, a few weeks later, I got, an, I received an email uh, from one of my senator's offices that they will set up a meeting with me. Uh, so that I could meet with the chief of staff, and wow. I was beside myself. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Like I was so excited and proud, and then like really terrified because I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> I don't know anything about policy, and I don't know much about um, politics in general, and I don't know about how to create a bill and le- legislature. Like I, 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 fe- I didn't feel skilled, and so I reached right out to my contact at the Crohn's and Clydes Foundation, and I let them know that I had this meeting, I was like, I would love if any of you want to come. Um, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I really just want to advocate for for patients. Um, and where I was coming from was from someone that's has, it, who has seen that, you know, you don't really get a whole lot of education. You don't really get mm-hmm. a lot of resources when you get a diagnosis. You get what medicine to take and maybe a little bit of guidance and a few things here and there, depending on who your providers are But you're not helped with the burden of the disease in totality. And the cost is insane. Um, So even if it's just the cost of food, that's insane. But then you add the cost of the medications. Even if you're not on a biologic, the costs are still really high. If you want to do anything outside of regular medicine, if you want to do acupuncture or massage or talk therapy, all of those things aren't always covered. Um, The system isn't always perfect. And I wanted that to change. Um, Step therapy reform is something that has been um, on the ballot in Georgia. So that's something that we focused Mm -hmm. on. It's something that I feel, you know, pretty strongly about even though I'm not on the biologic right now. I still feel like if a provider and a patient feel like a medicine is right for them, they should be able to get it and the insurance company shouldn't be able to mitigate that by not covering the drug. Um, And that's essentially what we kind of discussed as in terms of step therapy reform. And so one of the ladies from the Crohn's and Foundation was able to come with me. And in July, we went and I met with the chief of staff there and had my first legislative meeting. And it was terrifying and awesome. I mean, I was initially just so scared and nervous and sweaty. Um, <laughs> I didn't feel qualified. And then I had to kind of give myself a pep talk and be like, you know, there is no better – Qualification or credential than my experience. So, yeah. no one can tell me that I'm wrong because this is what I've lived essentially. And that is what helped exactly. me get through this somewhat intimidating meeting. And so, it was really great. It was so rewarding. It was so fun um, to feel like I was sticking up for myself, but then all of the millions of people that have IBD. Mm -hmm. And that maybe that one conversation that we had could leave a lasting impression. Maybe he will actually talk to Senator Perdue like he said that he Mm -hmm. would. And maybe they'll vote differently. Maybe they will support things differently. Maybe things will change. And the more we do these things, the more likely the odds are that – we will see the change that we want, and I would love to be a part of that, and that is why I did it, and that is why I work with the foundation on all these different types of things, um, and I go to the educational events, and then I also do the advocacy events because I think it's all really important, and
1: I want to be a part of that change, and so that's kind of how I got involved. That's absolutely fantastic, and it sounds – Sounds like you plan to keep doing that. It doesn't sound like uh, you have any intention of stopping the advocacy, so.
2: Yes. I mean, I don't – I think there is not always an option to do it on, like, a a daily, weekly basis for me to meet with someone Mm -hmm. of that nature, but I do think that yearly, hopefully I will try to do this yearly when they um, have their kind of, like, summer break, if you will, when they're sometimes – not in DC and continue to work with the foundation and continue to do, um, whatever programming that is available to stand up and, and kind of be that voice. I would like to, I'd like to be that voice for myself
1: and for future generations and for everybody else that's going through this. So tell me if people want to keep up with you. I've mentioned your blog and some of the articles you've written quite a bit, but I haven't actually said where it is. So go ahead and tell people if they want to follow you and keep up with your journey or where they can find you online.
2: Sure. So you can find me online on Instagram at Better Ballets by Molly. You can also find me on Facebook as well, which is also Better Bellies by Molly, and then my blog is www.betterbelliesbymolly.com. If you want to go right to the blog, you just do backslash blog, but it's all there. Feel free to give me a follow or send me a direct message if you want to chat. Um, I also have my contact information on my blog. If you want to um, collaborate, you can send me an email. and yeah, I would love to hear you know your, your story, and I love um, meeting other people, even people who are from around the world and different countries and how they experience IBD and uh, learning about the healthcare systems in other places to kind of help me learn more so that I can um, take that back to the drawing board and take that to the foundation and take other stories to other people so that when I'm in support group... I can speak to other people going through different things so that nobody has to feel alone so that I can say, oh, I have a friend that has experienced that. Mm-hmm. Would you like me to connect you? And I love being a resource and a conduit to connect people together. And that's sort of what I'm trying to
1: cultivate with Better Bellies by Molly. And so, yeah, come and find me. That is awesome. I love I love the work that you're doing. I love your blog. I love following you, so you're doing amazing things. Is there – and I'm going to put all those links in the show notes so that they will be easy for people to find and just click on and get straight to you. Is Perfect. there anything that I didn't ask? We covered a lot. We've kind of gone through the gamut of things. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to share with the audience today? I guess my last um, my last comment would be that
2: – I'm here for you and I'm here for everybody in the IBD community and um, let's come together and get stronger and better together and thank you for this opportunity.
1: Well, thank you, Molly. I really appreciate you coming on to the show and sharing your journey and for all the work that you're doing to raise awareness for IBD.
0: So thank you. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member, that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at crohn'sfitnessfood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Crohn's Fitness Food, or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.crohn'sfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.